Jesse Smollett's arrest, a potential PR nightmare for Nike, more examples of blackface in yearbooks, and what does calling members of the media enemies of the people mean for the state of media relations in this country and around the world? All this and more on episode eight of Three C's in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Navy, ding, ding, retired, Chris Cervello, and John Schofield, still operating from our auxiliary studio in Hawaii. Thank you for joining us again this week. If you want more of our provision conversation, follow us on Twitter and let us know your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. And as always, we start the show by looking back on the week we just experienced in what we call the rearview mirror. So buckle up. Uh, we are going to examine the headlines and news that shaped our atmosphere since our last show. Uh, so let's go around the table. Chris, we'll start with you. So as we were talking uh, before we came on air, I think there are three quick topics that uh, fit nicely uh, into the rearview mirror. Jesse Smollett's arrest and arraignment uh, earlier today, uh, and for those listening, uh, we're taping, it's Thursday evening, uh, Zion Williamson's Nike exploding on national TV, and the USA Today story on their review of 900 college and university yearbooks in the 1970s and 1980s are really the three stories that I think grabbed uh, a large part of the attention. Um, so I thought we'd spend uh, our first segment discussing those three topics. Does that work? Oh, definitely. And and Chris, let me just tell you, like, so what you just what you just said is uh, is is very much on point uh, and correct. But just to to go back to some of our previous uh, uh, shows, like we're talking about these three specific subjects, and we're not even getting into the Aurora, Illinois uh, shooting. Right. Right. And there there are these shootings that are occurring. Uh, across uh, across the nation, and they now take a back seat and and you know issue fatigue. Um, you know what what we had talked about in our previous conversations. Uh, I know I'm, I'm I'm detracting from what we what we were talking about, uh, but just something something for 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 us to ponder. Oh, it's a good point uh, and, and consider. But but let okay let's let's go back to uh, what what was on today's agenda uh, and Jesse Smollett. So so please go ahead. Before we came on the air, we talked about the. Uh, the Chicago PD press conference, um, Jesse Smollett turned himself in early in the morning. Uh, and then uh, mid-morning, the Chicago Police Department uh, did a press conference. And so my question is, beyond uh, what I would say is, uh, you, you know, a sad display of narcissism and crying wolf, mm -hmm. um, you know, and beyond whatever feelings you may have for Jesse Smollett and how this case played out, um, what kind of impact uh, will this have on how we talk about race, um, hate crimes, social issues? Um, you, you know, that, that's really, uh, really where I wanted to go. And then uh, if we have time, you, you know, talk a little bit about that Chicago PD press conference. Certainly. John, you want to you go first? Yeah, I do. Um, I think the issue with Jesse Smollett, and, and I'll tell you right now, I had no idea who he was, what he acted in. I, mm -hmm. I, you could have you could have showed me a picture of anybody, and I wouldn't have known who he was before this whole thing took place. But right. I'll be brief, and that is that anyone who cries wolf, anyone who lies, they dork it up for 
for all the rest of the people out there who have legitimate, truthful issues of of uh, injustice. Mm-hmm. And and I, I like I told you off air, I, it, it, it's a nature of news item. You teach this at the Defense Information School, Bashan. I used to teach it, and that is. Right. Why is this making news? Is it because he's African American? Is it because he's gay? Is it because this was a very odd thing to make up and, and concoct? Um, mm-hmm. And to what end? What were you going to get out of it? I don't know, but it's making news and it's keeping news. And you want to talk about fatigue, like Chris mentioned? Yeah, there's new, there's North Carolina voter fraud fatigue. There's shooting fatigue there are all these other things like the chicago police chief said we should be talking about instead of jesse smollett and now we're talking about jesse smollett and and i just i'm I'm with you bashan it really it it jacks it up for everyone else out there who has a legitimate axe to grind a legitimate injustice to deal with and and i really wish it hadn't happened but it's going to occupy the uh it's going to occupy the conversation for a while Definitely. So with the Chicago police superintendent, his name is uh, Eddie Johnson, uh, the individual you're talking about. One of the quotes he said was uh, that T. Smollett, quote, took advantage of the pain and anger of racism to promote his career, end quote. One, one of the many uh, quotes that he uh, that he offered in his press conference, press conference this morning uh, in Chicago. Right now, there's a lot of confusion um, and just sort of you know, uh, head scratching about what would make an individual do this. Uh, In 2019, when we see a preponderance of hate crimes, you can jump on, you can can actually jump on the FBI uh, website to to look at the rise uh, and and just look at the numbers of of hate crime statistics in America and and just sort of look at the jump uh, in hate crimes over the past uh, couple of years. You you really don't need to you you do not need to um, create uh, fictitious crimes hate crimes in order to prove a point. Uh, it's I, I honestly you know people are throwing on throwing around the term uh, mental illness and what have you. I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to get into that. Um, I I just don't know what would make one you know come up come up with a with a crime like this. Uh, it's it's not exactly in my uh, my area of expertise. Uh, so I, again, I, I find myself as one of those individuals, again, that's that is staring at the news and scratching my head as to, you know, why, why would you do this? Uh, full disclosure, I went to high school with a woman by the name of Tawana Brawley, okay, uh, in Wappinger Falls, New York. Saw her every day in high school, John Jay High School, East Frisco. All right, so I had to deal with that case. You can Google it, look it up, you know, and, and, and check out all of that history. The, the people who are affected by stories like this, made up stories like this, uh, span, span political spectrums, okay? We're, we're talking about people's lives here, right? There are far too many individuals uh, in this land who are routinely, day after day after day, affected by real crime, real violence, uh, based on religion, based on sexual orientation, based on race. Uh, and, and, that, and that requires, um, requires attention from our, from our uh, law, law authorities. So to, to come from a place where you have to, or, or you decide to make something up uh, in order to drive your own um, your own agenda 
is there, there's a sickness behind that. Um, and I, you know, at, at, at this point, what's done is done. Uh, it's going to play out in, in, in the court system. And I really wish for our attention now collectively uh, to move towards uh, things that really matter. I feel bad for Jesse Smollett. I, I do. Um, I feel bad for the people that got caught up in this. I feel bad for the Chicago Police Department. There's something there why a uh, seemingly successful actor would would do this. So he's going to have to work through those issues. There's something there that folks on both sides, black, white, gay, straight, would be pulled into this the way that we have been, both when we thought it was an actual allegation and now afterwards. So uh, there, I think we're going to be talking about this for uh, for a long time. My, my hope is, is that it we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and that we don't, to your point, Bashan, lose focus. And to your point, John, uh, we don't lose focus on the important issues uh, that we need to talk about here in uh, 2019. Uh, gentlemen, so let's, let's, let's keep it in, we'll keep it in rear view, uh, but let's move to another topic. I, I believe half of the nation last night may have been watching the University of North Carolina uh, Tar Heels up against the Duke Blue Devils um, down at, uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, I know there was a particular president, past president, uh, who was in attendance, and he was checking out the game. Uh, Did you see his sick 44 black bomber jacket? Is that really? Everybody was yeah. making. I, I saw people, you know, looking at that, like, like, oh, it's got, you know, it's got 44 on that. Was is that really a thing? Is that that's? Uh... Dude, let me just come out as partisan <laughs> right now. That is so effing cool. He, he was getting. He that was getting. He was getting some cool. love. <laughs> yeah, his his brand is very strong. <laughs> for, for lots of reasons, but he he they were happy to see him uh, last night. It was a nice moment, I think, for the game, uh, and a nice moment for the country. Uh, but then it quickly turned uh, thirty seconds. Yeah, 36. I was going to say, was it was it thirty six seconds in? Thirty six seconds in, and and mind you, did anyone very see, first possession of the game? It seemed as if there was a camera dedicated to uh, past president Barack Obama. Did anyone see? Because yeah. he has a moment where he says, I think in quote, his shoe broke. Right. Right. So which, if, uh, for those of you at home, listen, we're talking about Zion Williamson, uh, the, uh, the the stellar star play, player for the Duke Blood, the Blue Devils, excuse me, uh, freshman. Uh, what, six, let's see, what do, what, what do they have him at? Six, seven, 290 pounds? Is that? And do numbers even matter anymore? Why don't you just say like six fourteen and four hundred and sixty pounds? It, it, numbers don't even matter. He's, he's a freak. Yeah, he's a specimen. He's a specimen. Uh, but blows out his sneaker. So uh, this has gotten a lot of attention. It blew up. Uh, blew up on social media last night. Thirty six seconds into the game, uh, blows out a a Nike sneaker that he's wearing and suffers a knee sprain injury. So that uh, first and foremost, uh, we're wishing him well here at Provision Advisors, uh, hoping that he recovers from this knee sprain and that it's not not serious, not going to affect his basketball career and the, and the dominance that he's going to have at the next level. But but because we're all about the three C's here and what that means uh, for Nike, let's talk a little bit about what it means. Uh, if you remember in 2005, the Masters, uh, Nike had a prominent moment when Tiger Woods chips in uh, for birdie. Uh, and you see that slow roll, Nike symbol, the ball slowly goes into the cup, right? Dominant uh, dominant day for, for, for Nike. But last night, 
a little bit different. So uh, let's go around the let's go around the room. Uh, John, we'll start with you. Well, let's first of all talk about how that entire Nike slow roll moment got immediately messed up when Tiger and Stevie Williams didn't know how to high five each other afterwards. So <laughs> that kind of that kind of took but, away from the, from the but, impact of that. But did anybody did anybody really catch that? Was it the slow roll or was it the reaction afterwards? Like what what got people's attention? You know, I I am so incredibly enslaved to my own ego and what people think of me. I was I didn't care about the ball. I cared about how awkward the high five was. So, uh, but, but I digress. Um, I, I think it's interesting in that that could have happened to any sneaker it could have happened anywhere. I myself as a longtime Ducator was just happy that they lost the game and was hopeful that either Maryland or Villanova wouldn't have to face Zion Williamson in the, in the NCAA tournament. But like you said, provision advisors wishes Zion the best, but it, I think it's interesting in that, um, it, it, is it really a problem with the shoe? Like, did he was he wearing a different pair of shoes in warmups? Um, you know, did he put on a brand new pair of shoes before the game started? Right. Excellent you, question. Excellent. You question. don't know. Um, you know, so that could have that could have happened at any time. Would it made Would it have made more news if it was a tie game with two minutes left? It really doesn't matter. Although it's obvious how much he how much impact he has on that team. Uh, did it hurt Nike that it happened at the beginning of the game? Um, did it hurt Nike, or would it have hurt more if it happened at the end of the game when there was more to lose? I, I, I just, I, I think to then criticize the brand or say the brand is all gooned up because one kid's gigantic foot blew through a shoe because he's that kinetic of an athlete, mm -hmm. that's, that's a bit much for me. Uh, at the close of the stock market today, Nike stock mm -hmm. was down 2%. Um, that's almost a $2 billion loss on paper. That's a lot uh, of money. That's a lot of money, right? And so I was surprised. I was not surprised that his shoe broke. I was not surprised, you know, given the way he plays, that, you know, he, he was as physical as he was. Um, I don't know that it mattered when in the game it happened in terms of, you know, what it meant for Nike but I was very much surprised that there was not a comment from Nike um, either immediately following the game or first thing this morning. Just so everyone knows out there, uh, Provision Advisors is, um, uh, we're, we're here for dedicated to responsible journalism. So just uh, at, the, at the start of this taping, uh, we didn't catch the, um, the statement by Nike, which says, we are obviously concerned and want to wish Zion a speedy recovery. Nike said in a statement, this is according to ESPN, quote, the quality and performance of our products are of utmost importance. While this is an isolated occurrence, we are working to identify this issue. Now, gentlemen, for a conversation, uh, a now deleted tweet from Puma, uh, Puma basketball account says, quote, wouldn't have happened in the Pumas. Uh, Puma has since deleted this tweet. Well, what, what, so, uh, <laughs> what time? What time did the Nike uh, tweet come out? So we're looking at uh, actually. Actually, what we're seeing here is three hours ago. Right. So all day. When, I mean, that. I guess that's my point. Um, and, and I'm not going to edit out my, uh, my. No, 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 definitely. Rooney's comment. Um, but no, I mean to, to wait all day. Um, and, and I mean, the stock opened up 1% down. So before mm -hmm. they even started trading, they were a billion dollars on paper in the hole. 
I just don't understand how um, how you let that go all day. Um, and John, to your point, though, I mean, if this happens, I don't know, if this happens anywhere else other than in college basketball, given the storyline about not uh, not players not getting any money, coaches and and in schools being in the pockets of uh, of sneaker companies, like to me, all of that. Um, kind of comes together to, to make this a really ugly story. Look at what the power of one kid is. If this happened to, let's say, Anthony Cowan, the starting point guard of the Maryland Terrapins, do you think this would have made news that he went through his shoe? No. It's about, it, and that's what people have to recognize about the power of a brand and an individual. That individual is huge. Yeah, but you can't have it both ways, right? I mean, if you're Nike and you love the idea of the swoosh, uh, you know, that slow roll into the cup, um, you, you know, albeit the awkward high five that follows, or, you know, if Zion would have gone off for 60 points last night and people would have seen his his shoes as he dunks over somebody's head, Nike could be up $2 billion today, right? So, I, I mean, you, you know, I mean, that that's why you have those sneaker deals. That's why you have things that reinforce that that brand, Again, I just go back to to not be as aggressive as maybe um, they could have been. Well, they better turn it around with the business development side. And if Zion, when he's starting for the New York Knicks next year, <laughs> if he signs a shoe deal with any other company, that's when you see that's that's when you see that stock drop. That if that kid who's going to be a transformational athlete signs a shoe deal with someone else because he you know, lost a game to North Carolina because he blew through a shoe. That's when they have problems. And if they can get them to turn around and sign a shoe deal with them despite that, then it truly becomes a non-issue. I think we leave it there. Excellent discussion. Uh, gentlemen, as always, let's move to our last topic in, uh, in rear view. The Virginia governor, the Virginia lieutenant governor, and the attorney general, uh, all three weeks ago under, under intense scrutiny, uh, across across this land of ours, um, but are all still employed, and that caused USA Today uh, to do a little uh, a little bit of a shall I say deep dive on um, the background of some of our some of our nation's uh, colleges yearbooks, uh, and what they discovered was uh, you've got more than two hundred examples of instances where blatant racism was displayed in the pages of college yearbooks um, uh, across the United States, uh, from blackface to KKK imagery um, and, and, and the like. So, gentlemen, again, I'm amazed that uh, we were talking about this some three weeks ago, about how uh, Governor Northam uh, and Justin Fairfax, as well as uh, the Attorney General, needed to, needed to go. But it looks like Three weeks later, uh, the three of them are, are safely uh, in their jobs. So uh, what do we want to talk about that? And what do we, what do we feel about uh, what's going on uh, in, in, in the pages of history, shall we say? You know, they went back, looked at 900 different yearbooks. Um, as you said, Bash, 200 examples from 120 different schools, including Northeast Ivy League schools, UVA, their own editor-in-chief, Nicole Carroll, who was the editor of her yearbook uh, at Arizona State. That yearbook that she edited um, had pictures of 
folks dressing up as I believe it was Mike Tyson and Robin Givens. Um, and you, you know, they, they deemed it by their own standards now, you know, 30 something years later, mm-hmm. poor taste. So, I mean, do, do people get a pass? I mean, that, that kind of was her, her view. Like, Hey, I was 21, obviously now at 50 something, I know much better. Um, do we give people a pass? Do people get a pass? Do certain people get a pass? Um, I am. Where, where are we? Yeah. So, so I am, I've been, I've been reading the, the stories just like, just like the both of you have and sort of trying to come to grips with the, the reality of this. Um, listen, I went to the university of Virginia. My, my picture appears in the yearbook entitled corks and curls, which we are now uh, uncovering uh, has, has a deep seated uh, racial discriminatory past. In, in terms of what that means for, for blackface costume. It is amazing to me that in 2019, we are now finding ourselves uh, having to say, well, you know what, the 70s and the 80s, this was something that just, you know, it just went on. We are, we're happy to, or not, I shouldn't say happy, uh, we're going to, to, to tolerate and accept that that was that was the past it was it was an accepted practice uh and we're going to let it slide i'm blown away i'm blown away by that that that's where we are uh in our in our daily discourse look i'm i'm certainly glad that that if we're going to have an honest conversation about race uh in the in the dialogue uh about where we need to go from here if it's earnest okay i can deal with that but if it's just a well let's let's kind of forget about it and let's not talk about it that that's something that went on then and you know a what do you have to lose type uh argument here i'm not having that that doesn't fly with me either i i hate it you, know, you can go ahead and grant this a big leap but you can go ahead and be like well you know that whole anti-semitism thing and Holocaust thing that was then, you know, but we're good now. Well, you know what? No, there's certain things that are part of the fabric of a people and fabric of a nation that are never okay and can never necessarily be forgiven. Now, that's kind of a really rough and and rigid viewpoint of the whole thing, but that's what I believe. And and I'm sorry if there's something in the yearbook out there that shows insensitivity, no matter what time frame, then then I'm not okay with it. I just hope. I hope a lot that that the schools that I support, that my alma mater, Villanova, doesn't have anything like that in its yearbook. Like I, I sent you guys the story, not to get off subject, but I sent you guys the story about Tim Donaghy, the NBA ref, and maybe we can deep dive on that next week. That that entire story about how he fixed games and and was basically just a dirty gambler fixing NBA games for about four or five years. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I was doing as I read that story was hoping to God that they didn't mention that he was a Villanova graduate. You know, because that hurts your reputation of your alma mater. Um, and, and they talked about his Philadelphia roots. They talked about everything, but they never mentioned Villanova. And that's the whole thing that I know a lot of college university presidents out there right now in the context of the yearbook story are saying, please don't let our name appear because it hurts. That's when it hurts applications coming in. It hurts your brand. It hurts your next TV contract with CBS Sports or, or ESPN or whomever. 
you know, it, it's, it's now a time, you know, like we were talking about with deleting tweets last week, it's now a time to take a look at your entire portfolio and make sure that you've got your house in order or else it's going to have long, long lasting effects on you. So I'm going to take a little bit of a different um, tack and, and hopefully <laughs> I can pull this off without sounding insensitive. Here we go. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I think this is a good thing. I think it's a good thing that it, it, it comes to light. I think it reminds people that this is still very much real. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that, you, you know, um, when people think of, you know, racism or blackface, they tend to think of like dumb rednecks from the South. Uh, and I mean that in like a very stereotypical way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, think I, get, what, I, I think what this shows is the breadth in which, one that this was occurring in the um in the 1970s 80s and even later mm-hmm. um in some of the you know really top institutions of of learning where you, you know known for for pushing out limousine liberals and people that really acted as if this stuff wasn't going on so i think it's good i think it's good for the conversation um, you know, how people are handling it is a completely different conversation. And, uh, you know, we've covered some of that on this podcast. But uh, I'm glad that USA Today went back, you know, and looked at this beyond just, uh, you know, um, Eastern Virginia Medical School, 1970s. And they, they looked at Cornell and they looked at UVA and other places. Um, I think I think people should be confronted with this as we think about race now you know, I think it's a great lesson. The press doing this type of digging, the press doing this type of investigative journalism to actually show ugliness where ugliness exists for the sake of truth and transparency, for the sake of the growth of this country, that's a good thing. The Washington Post had a couple of great articles about this. If you go back to their February 12th uh, edition of the Washington Post, uh, there was one particular uh, article from Susan's Reluga. Uh, that talked about uh, the University of Virginia specifically um, about its past as they did a, a, a bit of a, a deep dive into their, um, into their yearbook and the history uh, about its title, uh, and also an opinion piece from Jonathan Capehart, uh, where he again talked about um, the legacy of privilege uh, in America. So just again, to, to complement the USA Today article that we began a segment talking about, uh, I think gives us a bit, Chris, to what you were talking to, wider uh, aperture on 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 this discussion uh, and it's it's amazing to me that we find ourselves here on the as I look at my calendar the 21st of February how just several weeks ago we were calling for the resignation uh, of these individuals but now that they seem uh, soundly in place uh, to continue out uh, continue out their terms a great discussion as always uh, what we're going to do now is, uh, is, is move on to deep dive. You're listening to Three C's in a Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back on Three C's in a Pod, and it's time for deep dive. Listen, just this past week, uh, the president referred to the media, uh, specifically the New York Times, the old gray lady, as, quote, the enemy of the people. Now, listen, regardless of your politics, your feelings about the president uh, and where we are in our political discourse, you know, it's something that we need to consider when the uh, when the president of the United States 
uh, refers to a publication like the New York Times as the enemy of the people. Uh, and we need to consider uh, that when our, our, our leader makes statements like this, what that means uh, for the people out there um, in the populace, uh, what, what they take away from it. Uh, given our relationship with the media, uh, folks that we've worked with day to day, arm in arm, uh, who we deployed with, uh, we, we feel that we need to call out this statement as ridiculous and untrue. Um, it's just um, not, 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 a, not a, uh, a worthwhile statement to make uh, on, on any level. Uh, so we're going to take it a little bit step further. We're going to get into our deep dive into the state of media relations overall uh, in relationship uh, to what's happening uh, across our land. We saw a BBC reporter uh, assaulted just uh, a couple of weeks ago at a, at a, at a rally. Um, so it, it, it deserves it, it deserves our attention and, and what this means for individual organizations, uh, communication professionals such as ourselves uh, as we engage and uh, pitch stories to the media. So I'm going to toss it over to Chris uh, for uh, this little bit of deep dive. Hey, thanks, Bash. I thought that was a great uh, introduction. Between the, the three of us, I mean, we've spent several decades uh, arm in arm with members of the media through wars in Afghanistan, wars in Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, major national security issues. So, uh, I, mean, I mean, I think I speak for both of you when I say, I mean, we, we find them to be as patriotic or, or more patriotic than, uh, than just about any profession uh, in the United States. And Certainly. so uh, getting beyond uh, the political rhetoric, you know, I think it is a good time to, to kind of step back and look at the state of media relations here in the United States and really um, a, a across the world uh, and what it means if you're an organization, if you're a government organization like the Navy that we just came from um, or you're a business uh, or, or whatever, and you're engaging with the media and pitching stories to the media, we're in uncharted territory, uh, at least in our lifetime. I mean, certainly, certainly. the uh, comparisons to Watergate and, you know, maybe Iran Contra, the distrust on both sides, I think, is really clogging and dragging down the overall interaction between organizations in, in the media. Um, in many cases, it, it crowds out stories that would make it in um, on, on slower news days um, because of the adversarial relationship. You don't really see a slow news day anymore. Uh, and so if you're an organization that is simply trying to tell your story, you have two things to compete with. One, you have the adversarial relationship at the highest levels of government, which takes up a lot of bandwidth and a lot of ink and a lot of screen time. And you're dealing with the, the disappearing of local news outlets. Um, so you're, you're, you're left uh, really in, in, in a bit of a, a pickle. Um, you're, you're being squeezed by, by both trends. And uh, I think it makes it very hard for you to one, find media that are, that are, have the time and the, uh, the, the willingness to cover um, sort of pedestrian issues or just run in the mill issues, just given the overall news cycle and the, the state of the conversation in the country. I'll use that as the opportunity to talk about how important the relationship is between communicators and the media. So a couple of weeks ago, we lost Jeff Fine, um, who was a fantastic defense reporter for Defense Daily, 
by all accounts, Jeff was like just a straight up lovable nerd. He loved defense beat. He loved defense stories. But when I was first coming up as a PAO, that guy walked me through how we could work queries together. He held me accountable. He wasn't my boy. He wasn't my buddy. But he helped me become a better PAO. Hey, why don't you call this person? Hey, why don't we try to work it like this? How about I give you like some time to find this information for me? Um, yeah, he was he was a very good reporter who cared about the story. He didn't care about gotcha journalism. Um, and and some of those gotcha journalism people out there are the people that President Trump is targeting with this incredibly incredibly dumb and 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 uh, and and mean-spirited comments about the media. So I, I think it, it gets to that point where you continue to try to build these personal relationships with reporters in this very awkward uh, environment where they're being vilified, they're being targeted. Um, I'll tell you right now that within moments of the, of the president's tweet and, and then the arrest of the Coast Guardsman who was actively targeting media, uh, a lot of my very good friends at the Capitol Gazette, who back in June uh, lost five of their compatriots to um, to a shooting in that newsroom, that shook them to the mm -hmm. core. It Definitely. scares them. Yeah. You know, they, these are human beings. They're trying to do a job. And, and you are making them the enemy of the people because the Capitol Gazette is writing a story about rising tides in Annapolis or about the farmer's market or, or local journalism. And I'm not denigrating the importance of the stories the Annapolis Capitol uh, covers, but that, that, that kind of commentary shakes people. These are human beings who are doing a First Amendment right protected job for the betterment of our country. And, and, it, and it irritates me that they have to live in fear and continue to go through the PTSD of what happened in June of this past year um, because they're, these are good people and, and I want everyone out there in the communications world and out of it to continue to try to forge the relationships like I had with Jeff Fine. I would say, John, thank you so much for pointing that out, especially what happened uh, in Annapolis uh, last year, uh, that specific tragedy. Um, you, you cannot, whether you're the leader of this country or wherever you are in politics, uh, someone with a, with a platform, you, you cannot address the media uh, in that manner when you consider the likes of individuals like Christopher Paul Hassan, uh, Coast Guard Lieutenant out of Silver Spring, uh, Maryland, who is just found with a cache of, of weapons. And as we, as we dig a little bit deeper, specifically targeting media representatives uh, in this country uh, who, who he has seemingly decided that are, are against uh, what he stands for. Um, this, is, this is real life. The, the, these, are, these are people, uh, people with families, people uh, out there doing their jobs um, under, un, under the, the constitutional right for freedom of the press. And uh, Chris, as you said uh, earlier, look, these are people who we've deployed with, we've stood with, they, they, they are on ships with us, they are on the ground, whether we're in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Indonesia, wherever we are across, across the globe, standing there trying to report on uh, what the taxpayer's money uh, is doing uh, within, within the DOD. 
we, we know these people, we, we have uh, invited these people into our homes, we have relationships with these individuals and we know what they stand for, we know the job that they're trying to do, uh, they are not the enemy of the people. And we need to be extremely careful about where, and I, and I don't exactly know where things made a left turn uh, in this country, but we need to respect um, and, and have a little bit more um, understanding uh, of, of what the press is here for. Um, you, you can't have uh, an instance, I mean, we, 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 we've had this instance where uh, Washington Post reporter Jamal Khashoggi uh, was dismembered, dismembered for his reporting against the uh, regime of, of uh, the crown prince in, in, in Saudi Arabia uh, for voicing uh, a critique uh, against that government. So listen, um, there, there is, this is a very slippery slope uh, that, that we are looking at and we need to call out uh, when, when, when it's wrong. Um, and, and I just can't, I can't say enough you know, you, you mentioned Jeff Fine. The three of us have worked with Jeff. Um, and, and listen, rest in peace uh, to a quality journalist who did it right and, and wanted to tell the story the right way and, and, and did that. So uh, that's my two cents on that. Uh, anyone want to take it from there? No, you, you said it perfectly. That was eloquent and right to the point. Folks, listen, stick with us. Uh, we're going to jump back uh, with our last segment on the horizon. You're listening to Three Season Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Pieces in a Pod with Provision Advisors. Let's take a look out on the horizon. Chris? So... I'm um, I'm keeping an eye on this uh, this ongoing story that uh, ProPublica has been doing uh, on the Navy and on the two ship collisions that occurred mm-hmm. years ago. Um, obviously, uh, all of our listeners are not um, you know don't come from a Navy background like we do. But um, if you haven't read these stories, go go to the ProPublica website and check them out um, in classic ProPublica fashion. I mean, they are all over these stories. Um, the graphics are fantastic. The level of detail that they go into uh, is fantastic. The stories are great, except for the fact that the Navy decided, for whatever reason, not to participate in the stories. And it's unfortunate because um, you really only get one side of the story. Uh, and you really get just the context of people that are really trying to save their own reputations. And you don't get an institutional look at um, what was going on in the Navy at the time of the collisions, all of the work that has gone into fixing the systemic problems and the progress that the Navy has made since these collisions. So for me, I am hopeful and I'm going to continue to watch and see if the Navy gets their act together and decides to tell its story as a way of balancing out these very in-depth pieces that uh, ProPublica has been churning out. Chris, a very important point. Um, We're talking about sailors' lives, uh, the future of sailors' lives as they do the business 
uh, protecting our nation out at sea. So definitely something uh, we need to look forward to. John? I'm going to be watching uh, to see if my incredibly bad streak of, of, uh, of sports predictions continues on. Um, although I got the San Diego Padres right with Manny. Um, although I predicted Bryce was going to the Padres, I predicted both of them would be going on one-year deals. We call now, that right I, church, wrong pew. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think what I'm looking at now is how does this continue to shape the conversation? Um, I'm waiting for it to come back to perspective in that you have these gentlemen who are making... So Manny's going to make $300 million dollars. Um, you know, at a time when I, I think that it, it's, it's, it's a very difficult conversation. We, we talk about it all the time where you have, you have suffering out there nationwide. And yet the story is about someone making $300 million and whether he could have made 330. And if Manny's making 300, then, then why shouldn't Bryce make 350? So I'm going to watch to see how that, not only to see where Bryce signs, and I think it'll be the Phillies, and it'll probably be something like $330 million, but, but how the conversation turns into, so what's next? What's the next contract? What's the next mega contract for someone? Um, is it going to be Zion Williamson's first non-rookie deal in the NBA? Is it going to be uh, a soccer player like Ronaldo who signs that first $500 million contract. Who gets a billion dollars just for being good at a sport? Um, so I'm going to be watching that. And then I'm going to be watching to see how the Oscars does without a host, uh, see how that goes down. Um, we, we can talk all day long about how the host thing went uh, with Kevin Hart and then no host, but I'm a notorious award show hater. I, I don't watch them. I think it's dumb, like watching all the red carpet stuff and who's wearing what dress and blah, blah, blah. Like we have, we have issues. We have, we have issues that we need to communicate about. It's a nice distraction, I guess, for some to, to see who's wearing a Vera Wang gown and which picture wins best picture, best director. But uh, I'm interested to see how the award shows soak up the, uh, the news cycle and, and the stories and to see if, if there's, you know, what, what big news is going to happen next Monday that might get buried because Black Klansman won Best Picture or something. Um, well, it's always interesting to see what happens right after the Oscars. John, since you mentioned the Oscars, excuse me, let's jump right into it. Uh, get your predictions. We've got for Best Picture, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Green Book, Vice, a Star is Born, and Roma. I don't know, gentlemen, how much uh, you've seen of, of, uh, of these movies, but uh, Chris, go to you. Prediction on Best Picture? I think Roma is going to win. It's not my favorite movie, but um, just kind of the, the oddity of uh, the Academy. A, a Netflix picture, right? Right, exactly. All right. I'm going to uh, go with the favorite and Emma Stone winning. I'm, I'm, a, big, I'm a big Emma Stone fan from from very humble beginnings and super bad to where she is now. I'm, I'm rooting for that, which is to say, I don't care, but that's just my <laughs> prediction. All right, folks, we'll stay tuned to that. And also listen, before we wrap up, uh, where would uh, provision advisors be without a Mueller probe update? Uh, we've gotten reports that the justice department is set to receive um, a summary or a full report uh, from, um, from Mueller. Uh, this week or perhaps next week, uh, who knows? Uh, gentlemen, what do you think? Are we going to see something or no? Uh, you better cancel the Oscars. 
John always uh, uses the death of Brad Pitt as the, you know, the news event um, that will suck the oxygen out of all other news events. Yes. Um, I think the, the Mueller report coverage, uh, if it looks like it's coming to an end or if we get confirmation that it did come to an end, I think even that will eclipse the death, the story of the death of Brad Pitt. So good luck breaking through uh, in the next couple of weeks. So you're saying I've got a couple of weeks to kill Brad Pitt and it's not going to make any news. <laughs> I am perfect. All right. I'm going to, I am not saying that. <laughs> All right. Listen, gentlemen, great episode. Truly appreciate uh, your commentary. Uh, look forward to joining you next week on, on, on three C's. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to close out now and just say Wakanda forever. Thank you for joining us here on Three Season of Pod. We always welcome your feedback. Uh, don't hesitate to leave a comment below. Uh, look forward to hearing more from you. And until next week, as we always say, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three Season of Pod. Have a great week.